What I love about this story and what makes it relevant now is they were already leading a movement. They were already telling the stories that needed to be told. They were already shedding light on injustice. They were already speaking truth to power. And so now people are listening. <laughs> Welcome to Bittersweet Reflections, a six-part audio series where Bittersweet contributors reflect on memorable stories. I'm Robert Winship. In this episode of Reflections, we talk to David Johnson, a photographer and filmmaker who looks back on a story about young Chicago authors. David Johnson is an internationally published photographer based in Chicago. He is the founder of True Chicago, a nonprofit that educates, energizes, and expands the arts for black and brown youth. And of course, he is a contributor to Bittersweet Monthly. David, welcome. Robert, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad to have you, and, and thanks for talking with me. I am starting each interview with a pretty basic question. How do you describe your work with Bittersweet to others? Yeah, um, you know, it's an interesting thing because, um, I mean, the way I first describe it is talking about Kate, who obviously started Bittersweet, who is a friend of mine from high school, actually. So we go way back. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, basically, to me, I describe it as here is a moment where I take out of out of every year to use my talents and, and my giftings to be able to amplify the voice and story um, of an organization that's doing great work. As a professional photographer, you also run a nonprofit, which is not necessarily related to Bittersweet. Why is your work with Bittersweet specifically important to you? Yeah, honestly, because you go through, especially when you work in the commercial space, you go through um, year after year, basically, because I'm, I'm, I'm an independent contractor, so um, mm -hmm. at the heart of it, you know, I'm a, I'm a hired gun. I do um, work on projects that belong to other people. Um, and so I think for me, um, sometimes it's hard to get a sense of like uh, fulfillment that my work is actually making an impact within the community that I live. Mm -hmm. So the work that I do with Bittersweet, when we are partnering with some of these organizations that are boots on the ground, actually uh, helping to transform some of the lives that, that, that they work with. For me, it's a sense of um, just mission in, in my gifting. So it's like, forget who said it, but one of my favorite quotes is at the intersection of your giftings and the needs of others, you find the seeds of your calling. And so for mm -hmm. me, um, it's, it's a time whenever I'm doing a project with Bittersweet that I get to work within calling if that makes sense. It kind of reminds me, a few other contributors have said because of that professional status of working as a hired gun, as you say, or an independent contractor, you're working on other people's projects, that Bittersweet sort of affords you uh, a place to be able to, to kind of be more creative and, and take control, ironically, helping to tell other people's stories or, yeah. or maybe paradoxically, not ironically. Yeah, I think, I mean... 
it's it's interesting because um even some of the most sought after creatives specifically in my field uh photographers you know you go onto their instagram and they may have uh thousands and thousands of followers and you know you look at their work and they're working with cool clients and you know I think that the challenge is at the end of the day, there's a certain current with all of that work specifically in commercial photography. And it's that like you're working with large brands and large Mm -hmm. brands have like a mission and uh, a gravity unto themselves. And so if you're wanting to figure out how you can use whatever creative gift that you have in my case, photography to be an impact on your community, you know, it's hard to really say that you can do that, that you even have the flexibility to do that. If you know, most of your work is just going towards uh, Google, you know, or most of your Mm -hmm. work is just accomplishing whatever uh, Microsoft wanted to accomplish. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, there's some times where there's overlap, but I would say the projects with Bittersweet, what's so powerful about them is it's a moment where it's only about purpose, cause, and mission. For this series, Reflections, each guest selects a story that they contributed to, and you picked Radical Young Poets Leading Us Toward One Another about the organization Young Chicago Authors. Yeah. Young Chicago Authors cultivates artistic development, social and emotional learning, and academic success in Chicago's youth. First of all, can you just kind of briefly describe what this story was and why you were interested in telling a story about young Chicago authors? This one was a, was an easy one for me um, because I remember when Kate called me about it and she was like, hey, um, we're trying to figure out what story we want to do in Chicago. And, you know, we, we talked through a couple of ideas and we kind of landed on on YCA, Young Chicago Authors. And our first stop was to go to their, um, one of their kickoff events that they have every year called Crossing the Street. And it's a kickoff to um, what is actually the largest uh, poetry festival in the whole world. And it's this youth poetry festival called uh, Louder Than a Bomb that happens in Chicago. Um, And we met, at a school on the south side and you know uh a couple of thousand young people poured into this auditorium and just the power of the energy that they were bringing because of the fact that they weren't there for school they weren't there for you know i don't know a concert of some sort but they were there Mm -hmm. um to develop themselves as writers, as storytellers, and as poets. And that just gave uh, a sense of empowerment in that room that was incredible to me. And I really felt like, and this was, you know, a couple years ago now, this, I really felt like there was an energy in that room. I remember telling Kate when we left that day, that there's something that's in this room that has the potential to help change a city. There's something that was in that room that has the potential to help change the narrative around young people in Chicago. Um, 
And it was because they were empowering them to tell their own stories. And so for me, I wanted to figure out how we could be a part of documenting that and be a part of telling the story of the, the lives of the young people involved. I'm going to go ahead and jump to that question since you brought up the word empower. Can you just tell me what that word means to you, empowerment? Yeah, um, I think what it means is, you know, there's this, um, I think it was Sir Ken Robinson that talked about it in a TED Talk. He talked about this idea of education um, killing creativity. And hmm. what jumped out to me in that talk is there's this, there's this one part where he talks about the, the approach of a lot of our um, educational philosophies is very much um, uh, like mining, like mining for certain resources within, you know, the lives of young people that we know will already be valuable within a society. Okay. So if a child has a lot of that, then, you know, they are empowered by a system um, that propels them forward because we've already established, you know, things like, you know, math, science, what have you are already valuable to the society. So there you go. But he was suggesting um, that if a child doesn't have that, then that puts them in a really difficult position. Uh, if they're an artist, if they, um, if they are a writer, whatever it is, they, um, if they don't have some of those things that the system is mining for, then they are not empowered. Then they are not put in a position where they can excel. And so there was just this whole idea around what if um, we approached young people in a more agricultural sense where, you know, they're being planted and cultivated over time and mentorship would take place and investment would take place within them and their surrounding community. And we would see what could grow. And that fruit would um, almost like in the story of Genesis where it's seeds uh, or it's fruit bearing seeds after its kind where, you know, what you plant is going to grow and the fruit that comes of that has the potential to plant the same thing over and over again. Um, and so for me, the empowerment piece and what empowerment means is really, you know, being able to write your own destiny a little bit and having, having, having the resources uh, to be able and, and the education and the knowledge and the wisdom and having access to what you need to be able to grow organically rather than having to fit within the system uh, that is mining for resources. As a photographer and filmmaker, how do you empower or embody empowerment through storytelling? Yeah, I mean, honestly... It starts before I pick up a camera, I think. I think I have to embody it um, in who I am as a person. And then that informs the work, right? Like that who I am as a person, I should have the integrity. I should have um, the knowledge and the history to be able to embody the story that I want to tell or to be able to receive the story that I want to tell. And so... For me, like I said, a lot of it has to do with not having a camera in my hand first, that understanding the space and the culture that I'm walking into. 
and allowing myself to be a student of it before I'm teaching it to anybody else. As a photographer, in a lot of cases, you're just sort of waiting to capture that moment of truth. What does your preparation look like, especially with, with this kind of story or even this particular story as a photographer? It's tough because I am definitely, uh, I'm an extrovert, you know, I'm, I'm the person who wants to come into the room and um, really just engage it fully and like, you know, talk to everybody and meet everybody and figure out what we both like and the movies and the shows that we're watching. And I love this artist, whatever. Um, but mm -hmm. a lot of times in, in this process, the preparation looks like being quiet and sitting and listening and having more questions than I have comments or answers and really allowing space to hear something brand new. And it's, it's this mixture because so much, especially as a storyteller, uh, I mean, everybody calls himself a storyteller these days, as, <laughs> as a photographer, as a creative, as someone who's synthesizing the information to be able to, you know, uh, right. visually com communicate it in an effective way. I think for me, it's this balance between where have I seen this before when I walk into a space and, and, uh, a, a subject where I'm, I'm going to tell this story. Where have I, you know, what are the existing categories that I already have? What are the existing experiences that I already have that would be applicable and make me familiar with what I'm walking into? But at the same time, not allowing those to be barriers to learn something and hear something new. Because I'm walking into spaces where there's people I've never met, there's stories I've never heard, there's challenges that I've never experienced. Uh, there's strengths and talents and giftings um, that I have never encountered before. And so I need to allow that to be fresh at the same time. So it's that balance of both. I, I want to note that you also directed the short film attached to this. Yeah. There were a total of six bittersweet contributors on this story, which is kind of more than the average story. What is that kind of collaboration offer to this story? Yeah, I mean, for me, I am really never interested in telling a story by myself or tackling something by myself. Whenever a story has, has weight to it, I think you need collaboration to help bear that weight. That it's, it really is like the, um, you've heard the story or the, the, the example of the, uh, the blind men that were um, that had never encountered encountered an elephant before, and you know, one is in front of the elephant and feels the trunk, and the other is on the side and, and feels it, and the other one has the tail, and they all have different. But it's all the same animal. They're actually experiencing the same thing in different ways through different um, approaches. And so, for me, that's part of it. Is like. Yes, I, I, I will get in and direct the overall direction that we're going to take um, creatively. But what really is valuable to me is being able to tell um, 
a more accurate story um, involving other folks. And so for, for this one specifically, I think it was, um, uh, we brought on Brandon Mattingly, who was an incredible addition. Um, Brandon Ritter, who was our producer, um, who did an incredible job. Um, and then we brought in Tuan Nguyen, who is, I mean, really, uh, he's the plug in, in, in certain parts of the city where, you know, he's someone that his ability to create and sustain relationships in a story like this is invaluable as well. And so, um, mm -hmm. it was, it was really something that came together because we had a collaborative effort. With that many creators and collaborators, I imagine that the story changed maybe quite a bit from the idea to its final version. Can you tell me about the ways in which this story or even your perspective on the story shifted from, as I said, idea to, to complete and final piece? For young Chicago authors, the magic is in making space to hear the young people speak. The, the magic isn't really um, in our storytelling capabilities and our creative capabilities, although, you know, those can help accent the story. I know for us, um, it really was us uh, having a, a larger story that we wanted to tell and a more nuanced story. But as we get, got deeper and deeper into um, learning who these young people were, hearing their stories, we realized that the meat of this needed to be hearing the poetry, needed to be hearing the spoken word, mm -hmm. and that we needed to get our idea of the story out of the way. And I think that that's, that's what I'm learning more and more um, as a director is, it's, it, I mean, really, I'm, 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 the, the job is to excavate. <laughs> the job is to, you know, uncover what's there. It's not to try and create something that I want to be there, if that makes sense. Right. For those of you listening, the video portion of this sort of centers around this. It's louder than the bomb. Is that correct? Louder than a bomb. Louder than a bomb. Yeah. Performance. So you're watching these different young performers, uh, both live on stage and as they're preparing and writing uh, and developing and even recording these works of poetry. So it really is kind of capturing the lead up to, and, and I imagine some uh, follow-up from this event, at least in the video portion. At first, we just, they have a lot of programming. And so at first it was just us trying to figure out you know, how we could capture as much of that as possible. But then we started to see, oh, we could actually focus in on a few folks and really start to tell the story more specifically around a few uh, key characters. You did mention that, that part of the challenge was coming in uh, with your own idea of what the story would look like, even as much as you understood that that had to shift and, and you had to adapt. I'm wondering what else was challenging about trying to tell this story or about telling this story. Really, it's just not having enough time to tell the bigger story that we would love to tell. Like, 
I mean, Young Chicago Authors is great, but at the heart of it, it's young people in Chicago that are being empowered to tell their story. And those stories and their knowledge to be able to navigate their own story and the power that comes from that and what it does to them as a person and who it turns them into, that's the real story. That's the story. That's, that is, that's the magic. That's the special ingredient. I mean, when you're talking about young people, especially in a space like Chicago, especially on the, um, the, the South and West sides, like you have young people who their story is already told for them. The script is already written. The forecast is already set, like however you want to say it. Um, and the, the vast majority of them feel like they have to play out a script that's already been written for them. And so to see, to just be in the room, to be a fly on the wall, when you see a young person be ignited and be activated to disconnect from that narrative that somebody else constructed for them, which is very much within the system that I was talking to you about before that is mining certain things out of them and discarding mm -hmm. them if they don't have uh, what would be valuable to that system. To see a young person you know, have the light go on inside of them because they realize who they actually are, that they are not um, a statistic, they are not someone who, you know, has to follow in the, in the footsteps of violence or has to follow in the footsteps of the segregation that has been uh, zoned on them in, within the history of the city. Well, all of these things, you know, to see someone break out of that is powerful. And there's, there's something that, you know, I wind up learning from that as a person and as a man um, that really is, is really been shaping the work that I do today. You sound very passionate. You clearly are very passionate about this particular project and this, this story specifically, and as much as it relates to a larger story of letting people break the script or write their own script where is this story finding that resonance with you personally? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, at its heart, it's not about the, any of these organizations. It's about the young people within them. And it's about what's happening with them. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to end up? Because um, as much as I love, you know, this is, this is the challenge with the work that I do with Bittersweet and, and that, frankly, that I do in general is you could take a beautiful portrait of a young person um, taking part in the programming at one of these great organizations. But at the end of the day, where did that young person go? You know, where are they laying their head? What is their home life like? You know, how are they growing as a person? Are they growing? Who are they becoming? And these are the questions that I don't just ask myself, you know, after I interact with these stories, I feel responsible for those questions. Not that I'm responsible for each and every young person that I photograph or film or any of those things, but I feel responsible to take part in pointing in the right direction. You know, if, if I'm a creative in their space and I can be somewhat of a signpost of like, hey, here's a right direction to go, then I need to fulfill that and that I need to do that well and be an impact type of a presence. And so 
that's what it means for me personally is at the end of the day, I'm not interested in just influence. You know, how many followers can we get? How many people can we get to the event? At the end of the day, it's about impact. Were, were young people pointed in the right direction? Did they take a step closer to who, to their best self? Do you follow up with, uh, with the subjects of these stories? Do you, do you work with these organizations after the stories are told with Crushers Club or with uh, young Chicago authors? Yes. So some of them I've been able to sustain a relationship and, you know, it really depends. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, Robert, uh, the organizations are great, but it's everything rises and falls on relationship. Um, and it's, it's been cool to find out that there's certain organizations that I've been able to work with, whether it's through bittersweet or, um, or true Chicago, where there's been a relationship that has um, sprouted out and, and been something that I've been able to keep up with. So specifically um, with, with young Chicago authors, yes, um, there's there's several folks there that I've been able to, um, you know, be lucky enough to call friends. And uh, there's young people that still um, invested in and, and excited to see where the future takes them and, and just uh, totally I'm in on the journey with, with several of the folks from these organizations. So yes. The story Radical Young Poets Leading Us Toward One Another is just over a year old. It came out in May of 2019. But I think it's fair to say that the role of especially black and brown voices has changed in that time. Yeah. What is the relevance of this story right now? The relevance of the story is that when we told it, when we're telling the story of young black and brown folks uh, that are writers and that are poets, um, I think for a lot of people that were viewing it, listening to it, you know, reading it, it's, it's a novelty thing. Like it's a nice thing to hear about and whoa, okay, wow, that young person really has a way with words and you kind of leave it there. But now I think in this moment, people are understanding, especially folks that fall outside of the, um, the racial categories of black and brown, they're realizing that, you know, these voices aren't novelties to listen to, they're responsibilities to listen to. It's our responsibility to know who this, who this young person is and where they've come from and what they've gone through and what they've seen. Um, because that person isn't, uh, just for a person, for a person's story to just be a novelty out there would, would, would suggest that they are, I have no connection and no, um, you know, interaction with them ever. And so I'll just consume this if I like. But I think these black, these young black and brown voices specifically um, that are now at the for- forefront, you know, when we think of the movement that's gone on, um, that is going on um, with the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, what came out of that was, you know, a new set of voices that were leading a movement and they weren't, you know, the older voices they weren't the um the grandfather grandmother characters that we might think of as civil rights you know patriots um 
they weren't the John Lewis's that, that just passed away. Um, it was young people, you know, young people that are, some of them don't even have driver's licenses. You know, some of them aren't even old enough to vote. But these were the people that were the voice of a movement. And so what I love about this story and what makes it relevant now is they were already leading a movement. They were already telling the stories that needed to be told. They were already shedding light on injustice. They were already speaking truth to power. And so now people are listening, <laughs> you know? And that's, that's I think we're, we're, we're noticing the difference in this season is there are those that are new to this fight. There are, there are those that are new to the conversation. There are those that are new to this sense of, you know, awakened responsibility. And there are those that have already been contributing. And so the beauty of this moment is you have, just like you see in, in the YCA story of, of those young black and brown folks, you have, you know, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds that have a truth, that have a knowledge, and that have a wisdom that can teach in such a profound way people that are two and three times their age because they have this story that hasn't been heard, <laughs> if, that, if this makes sense. Um, and so we go back to that word empowerment. That, that is the empowering piece of who they are and what they bring to the table. This has been a challenging time for me personally. This has been uh, a time of grief and of, of sadness. And I can even say there's been moments where um, it's been exhausting because, you know, the reason why I picked the YCA story be was because it was black and brown young people. And it's because of what they have to say. And like you said, this was over a year ago when we were telling this story. Um, and now we see the relevance to stories like this in this moment. And so to be honest, it's exhausting to have been going through the last several years um, of my life, trying to elevate the relevance of stories like YCA and like the, the, the young black and brown people that are in there. And to now wake up to a moment and a season where these stories are extremely uh, relevant to people, it is exhausting. Um, and so, I, I mean, I can't help but think of, there's, there's actually, um, there's a, there's a, there's a Psalm, um, I believe it's Psalm 126 and it says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for his sowing shall come home with shouts of, of joy. Um, and I think of that because, you know, for me, when I see a moment like George Floyd, when I see a moment like Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, um, you know, we've been having moments like this, especially in Chicago for, for years, for decades. Uh, most recent, most recently, uh, Laquan McDonald. And it begs the question, what was different about this moment? And what I think it is, is what was really happening was, was not just 
a black man being killed on the, on the side of the pa pavement, but really it was a seed in the ground uh, that came to fruition. There, there, was, there was something that popped out um, that has been planted and watered and cultivated for years and years and years. And it is unfortunately the sorrow and, and the sadness that has gone through generations. And so now what you see is a moment where um, a lot of these seeds have been watered and now they're popping out of the ground. And these stories that you see um, with young Chicago authors, the stories that you see of young people that are leading a movement all over the country, um, it's the fruit um, and the seeds that are popping out of the ground of generations that went before and planted uh, the same seeds and the same stories and the same things. And now it's popping out and you're seeing a whole new, um, a whole new story. And so for me, that's, that's one of the things that I think, but um, the next thing that I think is, is really just uh, one of, one of my favorite authors, Toni Morrison. She just talks about this, this urgency of the artist in this moment. Basically, it's, it's the, what I see with Bittersweet, what I see that Bittersweet does, it, it comes to life in, in, in a moment like this where we have COVID-19, where we have uh, social and political and racial unrest. And what Toni Morrison said is there is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. And so for me, I, I really view my work in this moment as an artist and as a creative, as a, as a responsibility to contribute to the healing that we want to see happen in our society. Um, and so overall, that's why the work is so important and pertinent to me, because uh, when we do the artist uh, work that we're supposed to do, it brings healing and it brings empowerment. David, thank you so much for your time. For sure. I appreciate you having me. I encourage listeners to read this story at bittersweetmonthly.com slash stories. It was originally published in May of 2019. And I encourage you to see more from David Johnson at dwjohnson.net. Thank you.